Um, another team member that's been really critical for us as we've grown is our portal vendor for our investor relations. So our investors get a really nice portal to log into. They can review our offerings, sign subscription documents. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. I cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit and I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Hi, I'm Kathy Fedke, co-CEO of Real Wealth Network and we started raising money for syndications back in 2009. So I guess you could say it's my 10-year anniversary uh, we did some things very wrong in the beginning, and we are doing them very right today. Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of new syndicators make the mistakes that I made in the beginning and, and mistakes that are way worse than I could ever have dreamed up. So I'm excited, so excited that this event is happening, um, that I can come and teach people how to really build a business that will be there for the long term um, and that investors will just just be waiting in great anticipation for your next deal and have money set aside that they can't wait to send you. Hey everybody, this is Corey Peterson. You know, I'm known in my industry for being able to get a crap ton of referrals. I've been able to do this through a unique customized um, binder that we sent to each and every investor. Guys, I'm going to unlock this for you at this conference. I'm going to show you the step-by-steps of it. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't use this in your uh, presentations and in your money-raising ability, you're not going to be successful. This tool will help you get a crap ton of referrals, and that will lead you to becoming very successful in the multifamily world. Hi, I'm Ellie Perlman, and I've noticed that many investors that are trying to raise capital don't know how to systemize the process. And I found a way to build a really, really great funnel that automates the process. So I'm able to add two to three and sometimes even five investors to my list every week. So this October in Denver, I'm going to be teaching you how to uh, to do that. And I'm going to give you the step-by-step blueprint of how to build a systemized and automate your funnel. I'm going to be talking at the Raising Money Summit with Adam Adams, and I cannot wait to see you there. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today I'm here with a good friend of mine, Devin Elder. He's actually out in Texas. He's a member of a mastermind uh, that we both pay for and uh, get a ton of value out of joining that. If you aren't already a part of a mastermind, you definitely need to be. Then you can uh, place yourself with big hitters like Devin Elder. You probably also seen him if you if you go on LinkedIn. If you're on Facebook, you're probably always seeing me. If you're on LinkedIn, you're probably always seeing Devin. He adds some massive and amazing content. Real quick, Devin, I, I just want to pause for a second and ask you: Do you have like? Can you go on your line and get some of that on uh, your website and like get some of that content, or is it all just kind of posts on on LinkedIn? Yeah, we try to put them out as blog posts as well. So really any any piece of content we want as a blog post on the website. So whether it's a short video, podcast, resource, et cetera, we want to build up that library on the website as well. So our team puts it out, tries to put it out everywhere. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to be talking about your team today and how you're doing everything that you're doing. I, su- I suggest other people learn from kind of do what he's doing, not just what he's teaching, but do what he's doing. Start posting on Facebook, start posting on LinkedIn, find your platform. He's also got a podcast. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that. Um, but Devin, let's start here. Tell me just a little bit. I know you did a lot of fix and flips for a lot of time, and now you have lots of multifamily. Uh, you might even be doing both still, but tell me, what was your journey to get to where you are? Sure. So I uh, started out in the corporate world. I think a lot of people can relate to that and was climbing the corporate ladder and working for a really large IT company and doing sales, marketing, and some operations stuff there. And it took a couple of years before I started to get a little bit jaded in terms of how much effort I was putting in. And at at some point, there was a tipping point that I realized kind of in my late 20s that there was never going to be this big liquidity event for me. There was never going to be some lottery or some IPO that I was going to participate in that this was kind of it. And this is what the next many decades looked like was just grinding it out and trying to get my boss's job and then getting my boss's job and going, Oh, this is even harder and more miserable. And so started looking for, because of that pain started looking for an alternative, which led me to single family rental real estate. I was fortunate enough early on to get exposed to multifamily and start educating myself. Uh, it took a couple of years doing that before I actually transitioned to multifamily. And I kind of had some limiting beliefs around capital and, and could I do it and so forth. But the single family route allowed me to, uh, number one, get out of that day job. And number two, build up some capital to get into the multifamily game. And so I left my corporate job in 2015. And it's, the business has really exploded since then. Awesome. Awesome. So just really quick talking about the, what you mentioned on the limiting beliefs around capital. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I was uh, comfortable doing these fix and flip projects. You know, we're talking about a hundred or $200,000 loan uh, initially from hard money lenders, but then eventually from individuals. I was comfortable borrowing a hundred thousand dollars from an individual and they get a first lien, you know, position on the property and, and lots of equity cushion. I felt comfortable with that. But the multifamily projects that I was seeing other people do were two, three, four, five million dollars in equity. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. You know, um, I grew up without, you know, without these kind of resources. And it was just a mismatch. I just couldn't, couldn't imagine it. So it took, it took being around the space, I think, a little while for me to actually feel comfortable that, hey, a $2 million capital raise on a deal. Well, really that's just a bunch of hundred K raises. It's a hundred, it's a bunch of hundred K or 50 K investors. Same thing as I've been doing on the houses. And it just, I was just scared to take other people's money because um, that's the number one focus for, for me and really should be for any syndicator investor first investor returns first and doing what you promised or, or beating it. You know, that's, that's the number one thing. And, um, you know, you should, you should be highly concerned taking other people's money. So it, I feel like it just took me a few years to really warm up to that. So what, what made, well, you said one thing already, but I don't think that's the end all be all right. You, you did say it took you some time raising money in another place. And then also just kind of being around the space first and other people that are doing it. But, in my opinion, because you are so careful and you are so cautious and and conscious of what you're really doing, you're you're a fiduciary. You're making sure that that their money is safe. 
I, I mean, I think that ties really well into the team because it would be very difficult to want to pull in two or $3 million for a deal if you didn't have that solid team. So if you wouldn't mind kind of talking about who is on your team that makes you feel comfortable be able to raise like $2 million at a time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it was a little bit of a mind shift for me going from kind of a solopreneur house flipper guy and, and a landlord because a lot of that stuff you are doing it all yourself and it's the entrepreneur's trap, right? Nobody's going to do it as good as me. So I'm going to do it all. And then you're working all the time and you can't scale. Right. So I was, that was me for a while. Uh, the multifamily stuff, hundred plus unit multifamily projects, it's too big to try to do it yourself. So I'll kind of go through in no particular order here. Um, the team kind of internally and, and third party that we use. The, the, the first is the attorney, right? So we use an attorney uh, that does our private placement memorandums, our PSA, purchase sale agreement negotiations, and just kind of any other uh, legal assistance we need, entity formation, that kind of thing. But this particular firm I use They've done billions of dollars of these transactions, these B and C multifamily transactions in Texas, right? So there's a very deep bench there within that firm that I can bounce anything off of. So there's a comfort level there. Um, and we're, you know, we're paying for that anyway. At a, the project's paying for that anyway. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on those guys as much as I can. The second would be the right loan broker. So a lot of times on these projects, you're not necessarily going directly to the banks. Some people are, some people aren't. But with a loan broker, you've got another resource that's, again, done billions of dollars of these exact type of transactions. They've maybe been in the business decades. And they're a huge, not only are they a resource for us just to bounce ideas off of, but they're basically going to advocate for us with the lender. I almost think of a loan broker like an attorney. You wouldn't go represent yourself in court, right? Um, what is the saying? A person that represents himself has a fool for an attorney. Um, so you've kind of got the same thing with the loan broker in that they're representing you with the, the, the lenders and ultimately getting you the best terms. So that's another great resource. Another resource, of course, on these large projects is the property management company. So again, we'll use the, the B word, billions, right? You've got a management company that's got billions of assets under management, and they can tell you a whole lot of things about property management that I don't necessarily have to know everything myself. So I, I could list a hundred things that, that, you know, suggestions on running properties better, improving operations, et cetera. But it's great to be able to say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Um, another team member that's been really critical for us as we've grown is our portal vendor for our investor relations. So our investors get a really nice portal to log into. They can review our offerings, sign subscription documents. It's costing this much. We're getting this rent premium. So again, somebody that's a whole team that's gone through that, that whole process. Um, wire funds track the property over the life cycle. They see it all in one place. And I've had countless investors tell us, yeah, I think we're just going to invest with you from now on. You get this great portal. We've got the relationship. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that was the point. In fact, I was talking with one of my business partners this week. He said, uh, if somebody came and sold you or pitched you, hey, I've got this product. It's $600 a month. It's a customer retention product, and it's going to deliver these amazing customer retention results. Uh, and by the way, it's also got a software portal to it. You'd go, yeah, yeah, sign me up. But, you know, somebody saying, 
hey, I've got a portal for $600 a month. You might go, ah, that's kind of a high expense. But so the portal has been tremendous in terms of the, the automation on the capital raises, the distributions and everything. Um, I think once you get to a certain number of properties, that, that thing has been amazing to reduce our, uh, our cycles internally. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their nine to five, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract. And at 27 years old, was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system and hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast. So I put everything that we look at through kind of a filter. Uh, the first filter of any task is, can we eliminate it? Do we need to be doing this? If we can't eliminate it, can we automate it? And a lot of times with software, we can't automate it. And if we can't automate it, who can we delegate this to on the team so that I'm not personally handling? So the, the portal vendor is a big one. Uh, next is our underwriting team. So we use a third-party underwriting team. They're fantastic team. They've underwritten, again, billions of dollars of transactions. They're based out of New York City, and they charge us a very reasonable hourly rate. And it lets us it lets me not have to do that. Um, it lets us get another point of feedback. And I'll tell you, if my underwriters, the loan broker, and the PM, and me all agree on the financials of a property, we're looking pretty good on having a pretty good sense of, of what it's going to take to operate and improve the property. So that's kind of it externally, attorney, loan broker, um, portal, vendor, and our underwriters. Internally, I've got a full-time assistant that handles uh, as much as she can over phone and email. It's not quite investor relations. I'm investor relations myself and probably maybe always will be. Um, and then there's uh, an asset manager, right? To make sure that we're executing the business plan on these properties. And uh, then I've also got, we're focusing in one market in San Antonio. So I've also got resources to, you know, kind of one off to say, hey, this property just popped up on our, on our radar. Go do a preliminary tour. Go have the manager show you a unit. Go take some discreet photos of the exterior and, you know, get us some photos this afternoon so that I don't have to go out and personally look at it. I can get kind of a first pass. So there's a lot of little one-off stuff like that that helps me um, not have to run out to every single property. Uh, and then also internally, we've got an acquisitions person. And so they're scheduling the tours. They're, um, 
doing kind of some of the first pass initial underwriting and making sure that we're staying on track with our pipeline of deals that we're looking at, make sure that we're submitting LOIs when we need to and, and so forth. So that's kind of what our team looks like. And we feel like um, we're able to handle the current portfolio and we're also scaled or we're poised to be able to grow with that team structure. Perfect. Let me make sure that I have the parts of the team down. You do have an attorney. I think you said it was the same attorney that does your private placement memorandum and your purchase and sale agreement. The next one that I have is your loan broker. And you talked a little bit about if you're market, uh, representing yourself as an attorney, you have a fool for an attorney. Um, one question that I wanted to ask you real fast before I go on to the others is, does that mean that you don't really try to uh, target off-market deals? Do you only work with brokers? Yeah, good question. I think the distinction there is the loan broker versus the property broker, right? So the loan broker would be the person that's solely focused on getting the debt for the property. The broker relationships, that's a whole other thing, right? And that's that's definitely part of the team. The, the type of projects we're looking at, 100 plus units, um, I'd be thrilled to, to, to engage in a principal to principal transaction with no broker. But the likelihood is most of this stuff is going through brokers. And it's kind of an 80-20 thing for us. Could we build out a whole system to, to target principals and try to get one of those transactions in the next year? We could. But it's a lot easier to just have good relationships with brokers and have them bring us deals. And, you know, we've got enough of a portfolio that they're bringing us deals to kind of take a look at before they bring it out to market and so forth. But we're, we're believers at this size and this asset class in, in broker relationships. Okay. So you, you use a loan broker rather than, you know, going to one specific person. You'll work with somebody who um, can actually like maybe work with Fannie or Freddie or CMBS, you know, they have kind of a few different tools in their belt, but, and then you also work with uh, a real estate broker, a commercial real estate broker to help you find the properties too. Well, we, we don't work with an acquisition broker. You know, we work with the broker representing the seller. So we don't have a broker on the buy side. Um, we do have an internal kind of acquisition person, but they're, they're really more um, on the DJE team. They're not necessarily a, a, a broker. They're just helping make sure all our processes for the acquisition are staying on track. Great. And then you also have on the outside of your team, you have a property manager that you work with, the portal vendor. I was going to ask you who that, who that is, if you don't mind. Yeah, we use InvestorDealRoom.com. And they're out of Dallas. We've selected them because, well, first, some of our partners had started using them, so we got a peek at it, and we liked it. But we were also really happy with the price point. And, the, um, you know, we looked at IMS and Juniper Square, and some of the, the prices just didn't make sense to me. Uh, Appfolio's got a product now that's out for investor relations. They, you know, I, they demoed it. But really happy with the price performance on Investor Deal Room. And I would recommend them to somebody that's got, I'd say you need a couple of deals to make it worth the expense. You know, you're not going to go syndicate one deal and go get a portal. But if, if you're building a business, um, it's been huge. Awesome. And then tell me more about the underwriting team. It sounds like this is a third party that it's not an in-house underwriter and you're kind of, you have your acquisitions person in your company kind of maybe passing it to this underwriting team outside. 
Yeah, that's right. It's almost more coordination, right? So we kind of use the third-party underwriting team as if they were in-house. I mean, we're, we have a whole process and pipeline for our acquisition and kind of different tasks at each point in the, in the process to where, you know, we get to this trigger and it's going to have this task fired off to this person. And so the underwriting is baked into that. We do our preliminary kind of quick analysis back in the napkin underwriting. If it passes that, then we want to do the full blown underwriting from the third party and we'll engage them from initial underwriting all the way through close, you know, so we might have 10 or 20 iterations of that underwriting model and we're getting, um, we're getting feedback all the time from the underwriters uh, on that to make sure that, that everybody's on the same page in terms of the debt, in terms of the equity and, and uh, property management and that we're all reading the same sheet of music. With that underwriting team, do they, well, I mean, how do they charge? Do they get piece of the equity? Do you just pay them every time they look at a property? What kind of does that look like to pay? Our, hourly billable, 75 bucks an hour. So we get an invoice every week. Sometimes the invoice is zero if we're not looking at anything. Sometimes the invoice is 500 bucks if we're, if we're busy. But the, the beautiful thing is we're running a really lean shop. And so we don't have overhead that we need to hit. In fact, any of the overhead for DG, DJE, my company, is actually hit by my single family division. So while we would love to go buy three more properties this year, that'd be great if, if we could find them and get them to pencil. If we didn't buy a property for the next two years, doesn't matter. So we're not trying to crank fees or do anything that we shouldn't to keep the lights on. We basically have a zero overhead business in the multifamily. Um, and part of that is just kind of these strategic relationships that are as needed resources rather than, rather than payroll. Got it. Got it. Very, very interesting. Thank you for going into that. So again, it's an attorney, it's the loan broker, it's a property management company, the portal vendor, which seems like it's really helped you a lot. And then that underwriting team on the outside. And then you have a personal assistant or executive assistant that works directly with you and the asset manager that works in the group and then other people that are kind of, I guess I thought you said something like one-offs, maybe boots on the ground, go and take a few pictures. Do you have the acquisition manager that works on the team? And then you, well, I guess that's, is that your whole team? That's it's it. you, your assistant, your asset manager and your acquisition manager. And sometimes someone. That's right. Okay. So, yep. so tell me more about um, the asset manager. So what is their, what is their role within your company? Do they only work on the deals that are already running or are they trying to actually look at some of the deals ahead of time to make sure that it fits with um, their criteria as well? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I would say more the former, just making sure the existing um, projects are on track with the business plan, right? So year one, that's probably a ton of renovations, uh, keeping an eye on occupancy, things like that. After year one, that workload goes down significantly. Um, but there's a lot of minutia to get tripped up in, you know, dealing with insurance claims or making sure, you know, the, the, the draw process on these, uh, on these rehab dollars, um, investor communications, mostly I handle that, but, you know, drafting a narrative on the project. And so none of it is really um, super complex. It just, once you start to get a little bit of scale, it's a lot of repetitive tasks that, um, that can, that can sneak up on you. I totally understand that. Um, 
the last two questions that I really wanted to ask you here, um, just to understand how the business is working for you is um, when you're looking at different markets or different properties, is, is DJE really focused on one city? Is it focused on anywhere nationally? And then the other question that I have, and I can ask them separately, no problem, in case uh, it's hard to remember them both. But the other one that I really had here was, was talking about the blog. So you were saying that part of what you do is you have a team um, of people kind of getting the blogs and the content going, maybe recording it, maybe publishing it. Um, I was wondering who on the team does that. So first question, just about the markets. Are you focused on one market or a whole bunch of markets? One market. So we're in San Antonio, Texas. We've got one that's right outside. It's in a different county, um, which has been nice for taxes because Bear County taxes are on fire this year. Holy smokes, they're getting aggressive. Um, but we're focusing just on San Antonio. And right now, there's we're looking at a lot of deals. We're touring a lot of deals. We're offering on a lot of deals. So until that changes, I don't plan on going outside San Antonio. I would go outside San Antonio as a partner, maybe a key principal or a co-GP on another market with another sponsor that I really like, but that would have to be, you know, we're not doing asset management on that. You know, that would have to be some kind of other scenario. But as far as deals that we're going to take down, they're all in our backyard. Uh, it's a good market. We like it. We know it well. We have the relationships. There's no reason to change that for the time being. Maybe next year that does, but for now, that's the plan. Love it. Love it. How, how come only one market? Besides just loving the market, um, let me throw out a counter argument to, to you just to see you know, kind of what your thoughts are on this. Maybe, you don't, maybe people don't feel like they have enough deals in their backyard. You know, maybe other people are thinking, well, if we want a deal, we, we need to be like in the, within the whole entire nation and just open to anything. So could you kind of speak to them as to why they might not want to be into multiple markets? Mm, yeah. You know, very candidly, I'll just tell you my personal reason. I like my, my life balance. I like to play golf. I like to be with my kids. And if I got to get on a plane to Atlanta to go look at a property that I'm probably not going to win, that's going to tank that work-life balance. So love working hard. I work a lot, but it's all stuff I want to do. Getting on a plane to go look at a property is not one of them. That, fundamentally, that's it for me. Um, and for us right now, we are seeing plenty of deals to, to, to look at. So that's not the challenge. For somebody else that maybe it does have that challenge – to me, I think the, the knowledge of the market and the broker relationships are just so important. I just don't see how personally I would be able to develop those relationships in all those markets. Maybe over time that'll happen, but I, I see that more as partnering with somebody that already has that local knowledge. And so I'm trying to be the local knowledge expert because you know how it is. There's a property you're looking at and maybe it's a good area and four blocks away, is not an area you'd buy in. That's a very nuanced thing, and you can pull some of that out from data and analytics, but um, there's nothing like walking a property and, and walking the area to, to get a feel for it. And so that's the reason we've, we've uh, stayed focused on, on one area. Love it. Awesome answer, and I think a lot of value 
comes out of out of a lot of wisdom. Thank you very much. All right, so just talking about the blog that you were you said you do, you're pushing out content on your website, um, and as well as I see you all the time on LinkedIn, adding so much value to people that are that are scrolling through LinkedIn. All of a sudden, they see your videos or other content. Uh, so the first question would be like, who on your team is focused on that? How are you getting it out? As uh, first question. Yeah. So my assistant does a hundred percent of the publishing. Um, that was a real bottleneck that that I needed to address because it was me to begin with. And you know, social media is important. I think we're probably doing one one hundredth of what we could be doing, but it's just a factor of hours in the day, right? So I think we have kind of a minimum acceptable amount of social media activity that allows me to still run the business, right? Um, but what it, what it was, was creating a template for everything. So I built the templates in terms of this type of content and the schedule for it, and then created these trainings for my assistant to go in and they are exacting. I mean, it is very precise trainings uh, and then recurring tasks for my assistant. So we use a, a browser plugin called Loom, L-O-O-M, and it allows you to screen capture video and audio, and then it saves it on their server and spits out a link. So there's no saving the video, putting it in Dropbox, there's none of that. Just, you literally get a link. As long as it takes you to explain the process, that's how long it takes you to record the video. So we've built a video library for the whole company of, at this point, hundreds of videos for any type of task that needs to happen. And so we just have a very repeatable uh, system to push out content. And there's really no deviation from that. So my role is if I'm at a property and I shoot a video, I give it a title you know, Hey, we're at this property. We're putting on solar screens or solar screens on multifamily, whatever it is that goes in the subject of the email. And I email it to my assistant and that that's, that's all that I do. So she's going to go in, edit it, post it out on different platforms, uh, tag it hashtags, you know, all that stuff is just spelled out in a document for what to do. And then that takes it off my plate because if it were up to me to do that, it just, it simply wouldn't happen. Right. So it was taking some time very intentionally up front to create the, the framework for that and, um, and then let my assistant execute on it. First off, this is super valuable things that, that not everybody is focused on at all. You're talking about creating Loom, creating templates, scheduling things, you know, screen, catch, screen capturing with Loom. And so you're documenting the process and getting it off your plate so you can focus on those high-level activities. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that you said, I, I know that you're doing the blog, I know that you're doing the content, or AKA your assistant's doing a lot of it and you're doing the first front end part of it now that all of the systems are in place. But you said something that, that stood out to me. You said social media is important. So if you could just kind of talk and speak to why you would say that social media is important. If somebody, a lot of people say social media is a big distraction, but it sounds like it's a big part of your business. So, so why do you focus on it? Why have you created those documents? Why have you hired an assistant to make sure that this happens? Right. So we are constantly in the business of bringing on new equity partners. So these deals are large equity deals. So I say two to $5 million equity per project. 
we usually have a $50,000 minimum. So you do the math. That's a lot of investors. So we're doing 506B offerings, which means we cannot directly solicit. I can't go, and, and we'll probably keep it that way for the foreseeable future. I mean, you and I know we have a, a 506C option and we can explore that. But um, for the time being, our firm is doing 506B, which means no solicitation. So we are just always putting it out there. We want to be top of mind with people that we're doing these projects. And it's not uncommon for somebody to get on our list and six months later go, boy, we've been you know, looking at your newsletter and your videos and we feel like we've gotten to know you. What would it look like to invest with you? You know, so we've, I think the key to the social media is, so the, the short answer is it's because we're always growing um, our investor base, but we're also always growing our partner base. And we're always, um, you know, if, if we're in, if we're in best and final on a deal and there's some group out of California and us and all the brokers go, well, we know you and we see all your stuff all the time. It's just a familiarity thing, right? People work with people they know, like, and trust. And it's just a familiarity thing. I almost don't even have like calls to action in the video. It's not really about that. It's really about like, Oh, DJE. Yeah. But we've been watching your stuff for a year. You guys are doing all kinds of stuff. We feel there's a trust level there. That's great. That's, that's kind of enough of an outcome. Um, so I think it's, it's all those things, but it's, it's always growing partnerships, always growing uh, equity investors in the project, et cetera. And then I think the key to that is just getting it off your plate, right? Create a system that is acceptable for you in terms of uh, uh, posting frequency and give it to somebody else. And it's their job to post it because otherwise, like as a principal, that stuff's just going to get lost and there's, there's no way to, uh, to stay on top of it, nor, nor should you, right? If your goal is to go find the next $10 million building as a principal, you know, you shouldn't be worried if the latest LinkedIn post is out, right? That should be somebody else's job. What would be, um, just to wrap up today's conversation and to just give a couple of tidbits to the audience, anyone listening who's thinking to themselves that they, they might be brand new and they don't yet have this team built the way that you do the, the outside part of the team and then the internal uh, part of the team. What would you say maybe a, a tip or two on how to build their team so that they can do deals safely for their investors as they're raising equity? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think it's important if you're new that you partner with somebody on your first project that's experienced. I, I think that's just a critical first step. So I would not try to go out and do, and if we're talking about large multifamily, right? You want to go buy a six unit and run it. That's great. Do it by yourself. You know, you, you and the bank, if you're talking about syndicating equity for a large multifamily, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't start. I wouldn't start there by yourself. I would recommend partnering with somebody else whether that's raising capital or providing value in some other way, that way you can go through one without the overwhelming responsibility of, of doing all these things yourself. So that, that's kind of number one. Number two, I think it's easy as a solopreneur to just do everything yourself. I would say focus on documenting your process. And maybe this is well in advance of hiring somebody. It was very difficult for me when I brought on my assistant because I'm like, I can do this in 30 seconds. I don't have the patience or the time to sit down and create a training video and explain it and correct them. I mean, it was extremely painful for me to go through that and I wish I would have started it earlier. So get a good CRM, get, you know, good systems, whether that's Google docs or whatever, 
whatever, and start thinking about documenting your processes before you hire somebody. That way, when you hire them, you go, hey, there's 40 tasks for this person to do, and that's when it makes sense to hire. Not just to throw, I saw this all the time in corporate America, where maybe they had a bigger budget than my small, lean company, but I just throw a body at it. Hire somebody, pay them 60K a year, and, and let them, let them pick, figure it all out. Maybe that works. That's not my approach. My approach is to be extremely granular what the tasks are for that person. And then when you've got the tasks, then kind of bring somebody in to, to run that. That's been my approach anyway. Maybe that changes in the future. A lot of value there. Thank you. I do have a follow-up question on uh, partnering with somebody who's experienced. So you mentioned that you might be able to partner with them, add value, bring some equity to the deal. But like specifically for you, um, if you had somebody reach out to you today and say, uh, you know, Devin, I really want to be part of one of these deals. Um, how can I add value to your team? What, what, what's the way for me to streamline my success in multifamily without putting my any investors at risk of having somebody brand new who's never done asset management before have to manage this you know, 100-unit apartment building, what would be the way that they might be able to partner with someone like you? Yeah, it's, it's so it's, that's a, it's, a, it's difficult, right? Because if you don't have experience, you know, I would love to bring people in for pieces of the business and have them do it, but with no experience, you, you just can't do it, right? There's too much on the line. So, you know, I've, I've toyed with the idea of having people help out with asset management and things like that, but it's just, there's too much to it to, to bring them in. The obvious answer is if you can raise equity for a project, that's an immediate obvious value, right? So that's the easy one. And that's kind of where I tell people to start is if you can start your private equity company and start educating yourself on multifamily to the point where you can eventually go out and have conversations with your network about participating in a project and you can get to the point where you can raise, you know, quarter million to a million dollars on a project. That's, that's immediately and obviously valuable to a sponsor. Outside of that, it gets tricky because underwriting and all these other tasks, there's a skill level there that you just, as sponsors, you can't take the time out to train somebody up on uh, and you can't risk getting it wrong. So one of the things I've done, um, this is a little off the question, but you know, I've got a whole single family team and I, you know, I've created some opportunities for some of those guys to do some work basically for free. Things like go Go tour this property, get us, get us 100 photos and a couple of discrete videos of the project. Give us your feedback on it so that we don't have to run out there, right? And that's something that they can do to start getting in the business and getting used to it. Um, but beyond that, honestly, I struggle. I would, I've got a lot of people I would love to hand tasks off to that, that want to get in the business and help for free. But it's like, you know, it's going to be more trouble for me to try and train them and explain it to them. So it's a, it's a difficult piece. Um, I think if you got really good at underwriting, that that would be a huge benefit to sponsors because it's a very time intensive process. So if you got an, a good underwriting model and you taught yourself to be an expert underwriter um, and tear apart a T12 and a rent roll and, and, and do preliminary analysis for a sponsor, I think that could be valuable. For us, we use third party, but I, I think that's one thing that um, a lot of sponsors bottleneck on. If you, if you have a couple minutes, do you have just a couple more minutes? Sure. Okay, so I uh, want to throw out a couple other ideas. I agree with you wholeheartedly, 100%. Um, uh, bringing equity to a deal can 
is always valuable, always going to be valuable. Money is always uh, valuable. And uh, I had a couple other thoughts that might or might not work for a team like yours or someone else's team. Um, because in, in my opinion, they would both work for what we're doing. So I just wanted to kind of throw these out to you. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody was willing to put down the at-risk capital, like the earnest money and um, some of the other due diligence costs, um, would that be something valuable to your team? And the other question that I have is if somebody just was really good at finding deals, they could find good deals over and over and over. They were really good with making those relationships. They didn't want to close on it. They didn't want to raise all the money. They were scared of raising money for some reason, but they could find a deal. Um, would you potentially bring them in on, on, on a deal for DJE? hundred percent. Yep. I forgot about the earnest money piece, but actually the last deal we did, um, I had a partner out of state partner actually put up the earnest money. You know, we're looking at an $80,000 earnest money check and I'm going, man, you know, we've got some, I could move some stuff around. We've got some stuff tied up in our single family projects. Sure. Come on. Here's a piece of the GP equity. And that just streamlines things. I mean, you never want to say no to a good deal because you, you didn't have $150,000 liquid to put in the earnest money. That's a great point, And we absolutely have done that and would entertain that in the future. The finding deals piece. Yeah, you bet. I mean, that's the real bottleneck in the whole business in my, in my experience, you know, the equity is not the problem. The management's not the problem. Uh, it's finding the deal on the front end. Uh, now we're limited to one market, but yeah, you bet somebody brings a deal, uh, that did pencils. We, would absolutely love to, to cut them in on the, on the partnership there. And these, the, the nice thing is these deals are so large that, you know, there's, there's ways to carve up the equity that I'm more than happy to do. And we've done that tons of times. So yeah, great suggestions. And we're open to both those. You bet you. Awesome. If, if somebody is uh, uh, somebody who wants to learn more about passively investing, maybe eventually with your company, if somebody wants to maybe bring you a deal in your city, or if somebody perhaps has 100K, 80K available that maybe they just want to put down the earnest money, how would these people find your company, get a hold of you? And also if you could plug your podcast a little bit as well, because I know you add so much value there. How do they find you? How do they get a hold of you? How do they follow you and see what you're doing? Uh, djetexas.com. And then the podcast is simply called the DJE podcast. You can search for that in iTunes. We put out a weekly podcast specifically on all aspects of, uh, of B and C multifamily investing. You've added a ton of value to me, my team. And I, I know to everyone listening right now, the details that you shared about the inside of your business um, really helps the rest of us to have have a business that has full success. So thanks for coming on. I'm going to let you go for now, but until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thanks, Adam. I'm grateful to have you as a listener of the podcast. Please, if you'd like to meet in person, make sure you grab your tickets to the Raising Money Summit, which is October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. So it's coming right up. It's already August. I can't believe it. So the Raising Money Summit is going to be here in just a few weeks. Grab your tickets. Let's meet in person. You'll get a ton of value. So I can't wait to meet you there.